Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. But for real, at work, we call it shaming. It's, it's, the goal is to see how long I can convince you that whatever <laughs> plausible but basically ridiculous story I'm telling is actually not true. And like I've let people on in Slack rooms for for a while. It's um, <laughs> what's the best shaming what's that the, you've done? Oh, you would have to ask me that. I'm sure it was something about like like somebody who was being fired or hired, like just something some outrageous personnel issue or something. Like people were being like, "What? What do you what do you mean? Like we accidentally reported that George W. Bush is dead or something like that?" <laughs> like I mean, you could. Like, bad example because you could actually go check our website and probably that would be on the website but you know like little things like that that are so but i've actually had people going for quite some time and and make me very angry but then people try and do it too uh and then it's and and then that became known as shaming in our little little group what a dangerous game of one-upmanship for a newsroom (laughs) but i appreciate it i i I look forward to learning your greatest coup is this crazy story about the gas pipeline and the ukrainian the ukrainian this is the biggest the (laughs) ultimate win of shaming career ending but worth it for the glory you guys heard ukraine blew up the pipeline right what shane is a is a cy hirsch sock puppet that's that's the uh, oh man Wow, we might need to turn the tape off for this if you want to get hot. (laughs) (laughs) Bring in the heat. It's not journalism when you have one source. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Rational Security. I am one of your co-hosts, Scott R. Anderson, and I am here with my two other regular and wonderful co-hosts, Alan Rosenstein. Hello. And Quinta Jurassic. Hello. And we are so thrilled to be joined once again by one of our most glorious co-hosts of your none other than Washington Post all-star Shane Harris. Thank you for joining us, Shane. Hello. Thank you for having me. I tried to do my, my little intro. Hello. Your my, signature. My OG. Was that my signature? Yes, I know. It just it evolved over time and it continues to evolve with me. I do. I have been accused of consciously stealing your intonation in the way I talk and introduce the podcast. And I think it's have true because I don't think I talk like this in the real world, but I think I listened to a bunch <laughs> of you doing it. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to introduce rational security. I have a nice yes. energy to me. This is my subtle influence over you, Scott. Exactly. Oh, no. I, I, lo- I love your intonation, probably because I hear myself in it. Exactly. Exactly. It is your child. Well, we are thrilled to have you here with us as our most glamorous former co-hosts in the Ratsec family, because we have a very special event tonight. As anyone who could see Shane on the screen right now knows from the background of his recording studio, the stars are out tonight. Hollywood is lit with glory in this wonderful Oscars week. And we thought it was only appropriate to celebrate and reflect on this past year with some Oscars of our own, some rational security Oscars for some of the big winners and not so big winners over the past year in the realm of national security. 
So we are going to bring a couple of special categories to you with a couple of nominees we have developed through our very scientific PricewaterhouseCooper audited process, just like the real Oscars, we promise. Discuss them a little bit, vote on the winner for today, and give out some of our own little metaphorical statuettes. So we are thrilled to have you, audience, here for what we are calling, in honor of the event itself, and one of its most memorable recent moments, the wickedly talented Adela Dazeem edition. Uh, as hopefully, no doubt, we may have a couple of John Travolta moments ourselves uh, in the categories to come. Not as easy as it looks. And he came back folks. this year, Scott. He came back. And I was so worried he was going to do it again. But he appeared to be disguising himself because he looks dramatically different. He shaved his head, grew a beard, lost the glasses. It's wild. He has been looking like face off for years. I mean, I think he's had his face taken off. And it's, <laughs> it's really it's really something. I was very worried that he was going to mispronounce Olivia Newton-John. <laughs> Scott, would you say that John Travolta is a subset of shaming? Did he shame all of us with Adele Dazeem? I think he, he may have. be he may be shaming us. That is quite possible. <laughs> he, he should have tried that at the time. And like, no, I totally know what her name was. I was just being funny. <laughs> this is hilarious, guys. You just don't. He get looks it. like he he looked like he was having problems reading the cue cards years ago. But oof, boy, oh boy, well, <laughs> Oscar, stop writing your 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 cards and wingdings. <laughs> You'd think the Pricewaterhouse Coopers people would figure that out. Not not wingdings or no, and comments Comic Sans is also not acceptable. <laughs> Yeah, that was the problem that, that that Faye Dunaway had. It wasn't that they gave her the wrong card when Moonlight won. It was that it was like written in the wrong font. She's like, la, 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 la land. <laughs> Why is this in Cyrillic? <laughs> Warren, can you read this? Faye Dunaway, noted terrorist. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, this is exactly why we needed Shane on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we could talk, listen, if you, oh, I could do a whole hour on Faye Dunaway if you want. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, God, I got to say, Shane, you were for, for years on Ratsig 1.0, you were wasted as the host. You're, you're so much better as like a completely unchained guest. Shane unchained. I think from the stands, Ben Wittes style. This is, this is why I quit because moderating sucks. Yeah, no. as, as, yeah, as Scott is currently learning, as he can't get a word in edgewise and run the freaking the show. The worst job, the worst of all. Okay, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. No, no worries. Well, with that, that said, let us get to our first category. Our first category, our first prize for this week, which I will be introducing, is best makeup. By which, of course, we mean not just original makeup and hair design, which I think is the actual category, but instead, what is the most memorable apology, the most memorable mea culpa that you have offered or we have seen offered in the national security space over the past year? The nominees are the Biden administration's big confession that its balloon bombardment was, in fact, a bust, not but a couple of weeks ago. Or is it? And nominee number two, Kevin McCarthy's Mar-a-Lago mea culpa where he moved not weeks after the January 6th attack to go make up with former President Donald Trump at his Florida estate? Or is it nominee number three, former British Prime Minister Liz Truss, who resigned over her positively wilting economic plan uh, after it devastated the British economy in a matter of weeks? Those are our nominees. Academy, by which I mean the three of you, I turn it over to you. Who should be our winner for Best Makeup this year? So I think that Kevin McCarthy is actually ineligible for his Mar-a-Lago performance because that was in May 2021. Whatever, it still counts. Oh, I think I think I think he I think that he actually did a special screening for Academy members of it later. 
<laughs> to, to to meet eligibility requirements. Well, so I was I was gonna say, you know, he could also be eligible for his uh, decision to hand over forty thousand hours of security footage to Tucker Carlson. And then just repeatedly step on like a sequence of rakes laid out ahead of him, <laughs> not unlike a red carpet, uh, in attempting to explain his his thinking. You know, coming in just under the wire. Yeah, I think we can reframe it as just McCarthy's continuing carrying of water for Donald Trump and exactly. It's like a lifetime achievement award. It's like the Irving Thalberg Award <laughs> for exactly. spinelessness. For humanitarian achievement, yeah. Mm-hmm. When Den- Denzel won for Training Day, he didn't really win for Training Day. He won right. because he's Denzel. It's Correct. the same idea here. <laughs> this is for Kevin. It's Kevin's because time. Because Kevin deserves Kevin's it. Time. It's Kevin's time. That's exactly yeah. right. I will throw my two cents in for the balloon bombardment bust, although this has been my petty issue, because rarely have you seen a story become so rapidly deflated so publicly <laughs> Where we went from a state of near war with China, where we're rapidly shooting down objects floating over the United States, speculation that they're aliens spinning off, people <laughs> panicking in Congress around the country to the point where the president had to say, look, guys, we're just going to stop shooting these things down because they're mostly just garbage. <laughs> That's actually a bigger moment than, than got enough appreciation, I feel like. And if nothing else is a, is a memorable one. I think I'm with you on this because everything you just said is literally true. Like that all happened in the span of a week. It was like a weird fever dream. And then we just moved on collectively. I have to tell you, like, I feel like this should be like a category for like, like, like best made up story or something. Because like, I remember when it broke over the weekend and like, we're all like at home and whatever. And it was like really cold that weekend, which of course plays into it later because like the weird Arctic air blast probably blew the balloon by accident the arctic river yeah yeah but it was just i remember like watching this being like surely people are not going to actually lose their mind over this story yes they did they sure did and and it was just amazing to me to watch how people could not get enough of this story and by people i also mean editors at the washington post it was just amazing people loved this story loved it so let me let me put a word in though for our friends across the atlantic because while it is true that the balloon went from possible war with China slash the Klingons to absolutely nothing in a week, Biden is still the president of the United States. And you cannot say that for former Prime Minister Liz Truss, who while she did survive in office longer than a week, it wasn't that much more than a week, given the fact that a head of lettuce outlasted her. And she did have a dead queen to kind of round the edges off for the couple of, for a little while there, for better or for worse. How dare you, Scott Trick? I'm just saying. Yeah. So I don't know. I think I think maybe for for just most spectacular meltdown, I do think uh, Liz Truss has a, has a good has a good argument for it. And did she apologize? She she did she did kind of apologize. I mean, this not isn't resigning. Just like the biggest kind she of apology. She did at one point say, I think, that she'd moved too quickly yes. in implementing her sort of Reagan-Thatcherite <laughs> economic plan. Extremely hard. She wanted to be extremely hardcore. Well, so actually, so when I was in preparing for this episode, I Googled to see what she's been up to. And apparently she's launching a comeback and she's not apologizing, um, which I love because how long? It's only been like three months. This woman, this yeah. woman she's just doing everything on speed run. I think this is right? a mistake. I think what she should do instead is she should go and try to become Twitter's head of global public policy. 
as a kind of shadow Nick Clegg. I feel like that would be really Oh, I love this. <laughs> I think this should be a pipeline from like fundamentally unsuccessful high-level British politicians to like upper middle policy management in big American tech companies. I, I, I think it's a great, it's a, it's a great path. It's a well-worn path. And it's been three months for Rishi Tony Blair Sunak. takes that job at Pornhub. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, oh no. Oh, wow. What have we done with this episode? Wow. Oh, God. We are either getting so many more subscribers or this is the end of the podcast. <laughs> You're going to get a very nasty note from Tony Blair. <laughs> what, I, what I will say is, uh, let's go back to Mr. McCarthy a little bit, because I feel like we've given short shrift here for the lifetime achievement nature of this prize, because we have had a pretty epic year of reversals from him, I feel like, year plus. One that keeps digging deeper, because now, of course, we have new audio coming out and new accounts being confirmed just in this last few weeks by some of your colleagues, if I recall correctly, Shane, confirming some of the harsh words we have for former President Trump, and yet still awkwardly carrying the water. You know, is this the biggest, if we are calling this the makeup, a mea culpa, maybe that's the biggest, oh, I'm sorry, Don, I was wrong in the first place, and let me keep making it up to you. Yeah. And like, I guess like, it doesn't matter if it's genuine or not is another question. I guess in all of these cases, maybe it's maybe it's not terribly genuine. I don't know. Maybe the balloon one is. But yeah, I mean, and, and, and also, you know, the extent to which McCarthy had to basically just, you know, degrade himself before the extreme wing of his caucus after I mean, how many times? 13? Was it 13 votes that he finally that he, oh, that yeah. he, that he got through? So I guess he sort of made up with them as well. And that was politically historic. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think we should. I do not think that we should underestimate uh, the speaker's uh, abilities in this category. I mean, he is kind of like I don't want to say he's like a Susan Lucci who's like been nominated many times and never won, but he is a workhorse in this category. He really, really is. He's like John Williams, dependable. Yeah, he's Steven Spielberg. He's like, yeah, we all recognize your genius to this. You're consistent. You keep coming back. Maybe it's not as you know, exciting now because we're all expect so highly of you. We don't expect you to do much more than this at this point. Well, yeah. but we have the debt limit fight coming up. Oh. And there is just simply no way. <laughs> McCarthy can negotiate his way out of that without egg on his face. So I suspect there will be uh, some serious apologizing and crow eating to do. We could give him an award for future service. I've heard enough, everyone. I, I think this is McCarthy's trophy to, to lose. Well, we got it. We got to do our accounting. Let, let us, if we are, if we are satisfied with the debate, let us go ahead and put in our secret ballots to the accountants as they will tabulate for the Academy, who is this year's winner? And the winner is, as I fumble with my envelope, make some patter awkwardly, as hosts have to do during the Academy Awards. What is this font? <laughs> this why is this in Cyrillic? Warren, why am I telling? Why am I so drunk? <laughs> the winner is none other than our own Speaker of the House, Mr. Kevin McCarthy. Quinta. Hi, Kevin. May I ask you to accept this prize on the speaker's behalf (laughs) with a few words? He couldn't be here? He unfortunately couldn't be here, but Quinta, we ask you to accept on his behalf. I'm I'm honored. I'm I'm not gonna give a speech because I am not good enough at stand-up comedy. Uh, but thank you. (laughs) Well, I I want to I just I think I want to thank my close allies, Marjorie Taylor Greene and 
Matt Gates and Lauren mm. Boebert for unwavering, unflagging support. I couldn't do I it without you guys. I didn't win an guys. Oscar. We won an Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> my production team, my co-stars. And we look forward to burning the theater down. <laughs> Good night, everybody. The end of Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. <laughs> Category two. We're doing. Are we doing? We're doing the technical awards first. Yes. In the yeah, we're getting the technical awards out of the way. Don't tune out, listeners. I gotta say, Stay this, with is us. A, this is this is more this is this is more successful than I thought it would be. This is going okay. <laughs> well, we're only one. We're, we're only one topic in, Alan, and it was pretty short. But we'll see how we'll see how it goes. I think we get there. He's got to vamp a little bit. <laughs> Uh, Quinto, why don't you bring us up with our next award? Yes, so I am honored to be presenting the nominees for Best Score, uh, by which we mean uh, who came away as the year's most unexpected winner. So our nominees are Western Europe, uh, because of the extremely balmy winter, which from my perspective as a East Coaster was very sad because I love snow, but from the perspective of Europe was excellent because it meant that they were less susceptible to having to weather the winter without Russian energy imports. Our second nominee is the F-22, <laughs> <laughs> which took down the Chinese spy balloon. Uh, even as the U.S. military debates whether or not it should be discontinued. Um, and our last nominee is China, coming in late uh, with its role in the Saudi-Iran rapprochement. I surely have no idea who nominated this. It couldn't possibly have been Scott. Uh, to seize credit uh, for that reinstatement of relations. So, Scott, make make the case for China for me. Well, this is indeed a late in the day uh, nominee, in part because maybe this was one of the topics I wanted to talk about if we decided not to do this weird bit <laughs> that we decided to do it in part. Um, but this is a pretty crazy story. I think we all see in the last week uh, that China was seen hosting the leaders of Iran and Saudi Arabia, not not the leaders, national security advisors, I believe, was the actual highest level official participating in Beijing, having them shake hands and agree to reestablish diplomatic relations, a truly historic undertaking. Definitely something notable, although perhaps not transformative in a relationship between these two countries that have been at each other's necks for a decade. But the part that's kind of missed about this is that this has actually been a long-going diplomatic effort from a lot of different corners, including kind of indirectly the United States. The United States, which does have relations but doesn't have you know active relations with Iran, but it recognizes the government but doesn't have a friendly enough relationship to facilitate itself. But for a long time, we saw the now former Iraqi president, Mustafa, Mustafa Kadami, uh, and a few other folks really working hard to make this happen. And then Kadami fell out of office, other efforts kind of flagged. And it looked like Saudi Arabia and Iran, actually, if anything, really were the people kind of who wanted to make this happen. And China just happened to be the people there to facilitate it. And I think there's a little bit of Saudi Arabia kind of wanting to give the United States the finger to trigger the sort of reaction we saw come from all this over the last few days, which is this idea that China is the rising power and the United States is on the decline in the Middle East, um, which has been a complaint of Saudi Arabia to some extent uh, over the last couple of years. So I, I think China really had a little bit of a windfall here because this whole situation kind of fell into its lap. It's not that it didn't play a role. It did kind of cinching up the last deal. But this trajectory was well on its way in a lot of ways that China had nothing to do with. And it was just at the right moment at the right time, I think, to take most of the credit uh, and now being viewed as the new major power in the Middle East. 
by a lot of folks in the kind of commentariat in a way that I, I don't think actually tracks the actual evolution of this development. That's why I threw this nomination in a little bit of a niche nomination, you know, perhaps a little bit of a whisper, whisper campaign, which have become very controversial in the Academy She's the Andrew, It's the Andrea Rice Burrow of, of, of this year's exactly. China, is what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I did write you all each a handwritten letter and had my celebrity friends do the same, but that's fine. <laughs> I don't see anything in the rule book. I offered to build you 10 bridges. <laughs> <laughs> several several luxurious wastewater treatment facilities. Um, but wait, Scott, Scott, I, I do want to know more though. So so it, it's obviously a coup, but is it a coup because it's a shiny object and everyone's treating it as a coup? Or is it a coup because it actually it actually meaningfully increases China's leverage? Or is it a coup because it is evidence of some increased Chinese leverage? I I I will admit I'm not I'm not entirely sure what what to make of when a country brokers something else for other countries, I've always found that sort of inscrutable from the outside. Like, like what, what, what does this add to China's balance sheet? I don't know to put it in, uh, you know, some more concrete terms. Even if it's like a soft power balance sheet. Yeah, well, I think it shows the perception and creates perhaps more importantly the perception. Although, again, I think it's a little bit exaggerated. This place that. China is in a position to make these things happen. Of course, when you saw like the Camp David negotiation, the United States helped facilitate between Jordan and Israel, you know, decades ago now, that was a major diplomatic coup because it was seen as the United States having the influence to bring these two divergent parties of interest together and help them find common ground and somehow adjust the formula between them to find common ground. There's no real sign that China is actually doing this. But the public perception and reaction to it has been pretty striking, I think, in that you see a lot of people saying, oh, China is now this emerging power in the Middle East and rivaling the United States. That's true of a lot of ways that China certainly is rivaling the United States. I don't think Middle Eastern politics or deal making or king making is really one of them. But that's a kind of feather in the cap they can put in in this particular moment. And it's particularly important because they get to look like peacemakers and people promoting global stability at a moment where it looks like they may, in the Ukraine context, actually be increasing a degree of support to Russia uh, in a way that undermines that narrative. Um, and particularly for kind of the non-line countries around the world who are trying to maintain relations with China and Russia and the United States, those rhetorical slash kind of public perception Elements are actually really important because it lets them build the narrative to the United States, to their domestic audiences. Here's why we have to, we, it's okay for us to stay engaged with China, even if they are backing Russia over Ukraine. It's a compelling case that he's making. I feel like, you know, this is not quite like Harvey Weinstein level of strong arming <laughs> campaigning, but it's pretty compelling. I feel like this is one of, you know, we have to wait and see how it shakes out, right? It's kind of like, you know, like, is it almost like, is this a Jamie Lee Curtis moment where like, or better yet, no, it's a Cuba Gooding Jr. moment where like he wins the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor and is never heard from again. (laughs) Right. Like, do we know if it's going to hold up? Also, can we just talk about Cuba? I mean, what happened to him? He was so good. That dog movie was marvelous. Weren't there like many? Yeah, but there were many dog movies. Wasn't that the problem? He just kept doing the dog movies. He kept doing the dog movies. I think he needed money. I think it was, I think he was like, he was the line from his Oscar winning performance. Show me the money. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the question is, (laughs) is China just going to keep uh, brokering deals between Middle Eastern countries and just forever and kind of, you know. That is the question. It's a little more hypothetical. I suppose of these three, the one. Well, the other two we do have more or less completed at this point. Quinta, I believe you were one of the endorsers of the Western Europe argument. Why don't yes. you give us a little pitch on that? 
I will I will send read out loud my handwritten Andrew Riseborough style uh, letter, per- lovingly personalized. Um, so here, so we had designated this category as who was the year's most unexpected winner, and I think I was focusing here on unexpected, uh, someone who won because of circumstances just like outside of their control, and I think that the warm winter was really. Not something that anyone had predicted. Climatologists, please don't yell at me if you did predict that. But it seems like you were all kind of surprised. I don't know. No one, anyone pays attention to it predicted it. <laughs> so I follow climatologists on Twitter. I love the Capital Weather Gang. Shout out to the Capital Weather Gang. I don't think they predicted this. Touche. And we saw so many stories in the run up to this winter about how brutal it was going to be, how Russia was really going to be able to put the screws on Europe and move it away from supporting Ukraine. And not only did that not happen because of the warm weather. Um, Europe has actually made a huge amount of progress in moving away from natural gas for energy and moving toward green energy sources, which is even worse for Russia in the long run. Um, So I have no idea, Shane, you can tell me which uh, Oscar winning picture this can correspond to, but it just feels like there, you know, it was on the rocks. There were a lot of problems and then it just like it came through and it really worked just like... It came together, probably. I mean, I mean, you know, you could argue that um, uh, Top Gun Maverick was like this, right? It gets made <laughs> in the thick of COVID, of lockdowns, and I mean, it's not clear whether there's even going to be a movie theater industry left to show this film. And Tom Cruise famously has like this, you know, screaming fit at his crew, but it also rouses them to like keep on those COVID protocols, and then they save the box office. I will say I I was on a plane uh, recently and the person next to me was watching Top Gun Maverick and crying and they we got to the sequence where there's like a crash or something. Mm-hmm. I was watching over their shoulder, obviously with no sound, right at the point where the plane hit a bunch of turbulence, and that was not reassuring. Ooh, Mm-mm. I just want to say, real talk, Top Gun was robbed. I'm still very angry. I made a case for it winning Best Picture. No, no, I'm sorry. Obviously, I'm sorry. it should have won the Best Picture. I will go. I will. Have you, th- Alan, I will die have on the cell. I have. Ever I have, and I liked it, and I thought it was fun mm-hmm. and quirky. Mm-hmm. But you know, I think Hollywood just needs to show some respect for the movie that saved for American War Propaganda. for saved all the, yes, and for <laughs> mostly for one that saved all their asses. Speaking of uh, uh, American fighter jets. Uh, I guess I am left with the unenviable task of trying to defend the F-22 here. I feel like um, this is like when when someone is included clearly as like a pity nomination. Shane, for example. Oh, for example, um, uh, 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 Bill Nye in Living. No, that's a bad example. No, Bill Nye really is always bad. good. That's the thing. He's, Bill Nye is always, oh, now always like, who, done a who's good. Like a, who is the, the pity thrown in? Oh, that's a hard one. Yeah. Who was like, because they were always like, they were very good this year. Um, probably something terrible that Faye Dunaway was in after she went to hell. <laughs> Just say that. <laughs> I gotta figure out the. I, I gotta. I gotta figure out this backstory between you and. Did she? Did she like? Did she? Did she? Was she mean to you at some point? She's been terrible to so many people. I mean, first of all, I mean, she made that wretched movie we won't even talk about about Joan Crawford, greatest act of character assassination of the 20th century. And then she's like, she terrorizes clerks in all kinds of West Hollywood retail establishments, demanding to use the bathroom (laughs) when she's not actually shopping there. And then she got fired from this one woman show she was doing about Catherine Hepburn because like, no shit, she slapped a stagehand. 
When you fire someone from a one-woman show, that's when you know that it's really <laughs> this is bad. A problem. <laughs> this is a problem, but this show cannot go on. <laughs> okay, so we've established that the F-22 is the, uh, is, is the pity inclusion because, of course, uh, this is not only its first air-to-air kill, it's almost, it's quite possibly its last air-to-air kill. Don't um, say it. Given that the F-22 was developed back in the, you know, the 90s when we thought we were going to be fighting a war with uh, Russia and China, and then we spent the next decade you know, bombing terrorists in caves in Afghanistan. And by the time we got back to potentially fighting a war with Russia or China, it was the F-22 was basically obsolete and we had to start working on the sixth generation fighters. And it doesn't make sense to uh, ever restart the F-22 production pipeline now that it's been uh, shut down in, in large part so that it can be cannibalized for parts for the uh, the F-35, uh, which is the, the main fifth generation fighter. So I, it is an it is an ignominious first kill that the F twenty two, the most spectacular advanced aerodynamic fighter in history. <laughs> but I mean, but it, and my favorite part is I think it missed the first time. If I, if no, it only I missed once. It only missed once. <laughs> that one over miss. the Great Lakes. How do, how do you miss a balloon? Well, that doesn't count because anywhere. that was some wily high school experiment. You know, that we don't count that. You can't trust the high school. No, no, Those no, Boy no. Scouts are too clever by half. <laughs> this is, I'm going to go in for the F-22. I mean, we, first of all, I mean, everyone saw it happen live on TV and on Twitter. I mean, it, was, it was this beautiful display over Myrtle Beach, which, you know, needs, needs something beautiful, I suppose. But it was great. I mean, who would have thought? Right. Toe to toe. And like the way they circled around it and, and you know, and, and you know, and the Sidewinder. Confirming it was a balloon. It wasn't a Sidewinder. But yes, confirming it was a balloon and it was there and it was floating by God. Um, <laughs> and you think that like shooting down a balloon, like, oh, it should be so easy. But like, what? Who knows? I mean, do you do, do you have to go through the balloon itself? You can't hit the payload because we needed to recover the payload. Like You can't. I mean, you got to be careful with the explosion that you don't destroy the whole thing. You have to hit it such that it falls gently to the ground with some drag from the now deflated balloon. I mean, I am no expert in shooting down balloons, but it looked picture perfect to me. It was a made it was a made for Hollywood moment. And um, and the F-22 completed it flawlessly, I thought. Shane, I am impressed by your ability to. To put lipstick on this page. Just spew bullshit? Yeah. <laughs> are, you sh- are you shaming us right now? Right now. Everything I'm saying is totally genuine and heartfelt. <laughs> I will say there is an argument that it is certainly for an unexpected victory to go back to that element of the award because, frankly, you could use just about anything to shoot down the stupid balloon, it seems like. Darts. And yet the F-22 just happened to be there. Exactly. It seems like if you, you're right off the coast of the Carolinas, there's plenty of firearms handily available that could have been leveled at this thing and inevitably would have been if it had been in the air for another 12 hours uh and so yet they turned to this f-22 i mean that's a pretty fortune moment um for this whole model and its whole fan base of which alan is weirdly one which is the side of alan that i didn't expect is jet fanboy but here it is it's come out a number of times the last few weeks ever since i saw the first top gun back in yeah it just got you going well folks are we ready to call it should we submit our votes to the academy i think so Quinto, will you announce our winner? It is Western Europe, folks. And I am not ashamed to say that I voted for my own nominee. (laughs) Would you like to give a speech in support of this nominee? Absolutely not. We we are so grateful (laughs) for the warm weather. I was just going to say, I'm not going to do an accent. (laughs) This is my awkward French, German, Dutch 
accent. Yeah, sort of like Habsburgian nobility. Just like generic European. Generic evil European. Just, just the <laughs> cast of, you know, All Quiet on the Western Front. Just do that. Exactly. Thank you, climate change. I have a great All Quiet fact. Oh. Uh, which is that, um, so listeners may or may not be aware that uh, the movie received a great deal of criticism in the German press and among German media critics. I have not watched it, so I cannot speak to that. How do you say Oscar horniness in German? Yes. Well, Alan, you stepped on my joke. <laughs> sorry, so, yes. Yeah, so, the, the publication Bild published an article. Uh, accusing the movie of a German compound word that translates to Oscar horniness or horniness for an Oscar. Wait, we got to we got to oh. look up that we got to look up that word. Are you kidding well, we me? Have a, we have a term like that. It's called Oscar bait. But they accuse it of being too hungry for an Oscar. It's not Is that one word, and it's not German. I want to know Oscar horny. Well, I'm not typing that into my browser. Oscar horny. <laughs> yeah. Oh wait, this isn't my work computer. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> Give me just a second. So the the public the German publication Bild um, called the movie Oscar Galheit, which apparently translates to horniness for an Oscar. <laughs> Oscar Galheit. That's awesome. I gotta say though, like what filmmaker is not horny for an Oscar? <laughs> I think their objection was that it was it was it was Oscar Galheit about you know one of the greatest tragedies in European history. It's more like they want to be horny provoking for an Oscar. (laughs) It's like a different thing. I don't think the Germans don't don't quite get the exchange here. I don't know. I think the Germans are just mad because of how they come off in the film, which is not well. (laughs) I mean, is this the first Oscar film they haven't come across on between World War II and World War II movies? Probably not. (laughs) Keep making these movies. (laughs) (laughs) You say it's all quiet, it's a lie. Always talking about Germany and this movies. <laughs> and I was doing, I was trying so hard to pronounce that, that compound word like properly and not schwa the vowels and out of respect for the German people and everything. <laughs> Whatever. No oh one's listening God. to this in Germany. In translation, I doubt it. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Well, sh- should we go on to our third topic, Alan? I think you are up as our uh, award awarder, our award host for this one. Yes, let's talk about the award for the best supporting actor, which frankly I think is actually always the more fun mm-hmm. Oscar because like the roles are always better, right? Like you always get a better role as the supporting yeah. actor or actress. Um, and I think this is, uh, this is certainly true uh, here. This award for our purposes is the non-state actor, the non-governmental figure that has had the most oversized role on the national security stage this year. Our nominees are... Comic book villain and chaos muppet Elon Musk. 
mm-hmm. uh, for his, I mean, where to even begin? You start with Twitter and then you just, there's so many more things, so many more things you can talk about. Uh, our second nominee is Emily Coors, uh, a kind of dark horse candidate. Uh, you may know her best as the manic pixie <laughs> Georgia jury four person who uh, America's sweetheart, I think is fair to say, America's darling who captivated all of us with some pretty feisty, let's call it feisty, post-grand jury television interview appearances. And finally, Tucker Carlson, the only man who has gotten less credible since he stopped wearing a bow tie. Though, you know what? Actually, I'm just reading what Scott put down in this document for me to read. I'd like to <laughs> say, go off bow ties talent. are much maligned. I love a good bow tie. It's my preferred neckwear choice. Right. It worked for uh, Bill You Nye, and Justice Stevens. The science guy. Justice Stevens, right? A variety of clowns. Many clowns have worn Many clowns. Tie. Okay, so we have our three <laughs> candidates. Uh, Elon Musk. Uh, who needs no introduction, the Georgia Grand Jury four-person Emily Coors and the one and only T-Dog Tucker Carlson. Who wants to start? I want to just make a case for and against Emily Coors, who I I really want to say was just like the surprise hit of the season. I mean, I thought that her performance was unnerving, at times hard to believe. I sometimes wasn't sure if she was acting. It was like tar, basically. <laughs> if she's yeah. the tar this year, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. it was. It, it was. Um, it was. It was uh, uh, not subtle, and yet somehow understated. As for instance, when she would like not directly answer questions about, you know, how many people the grand jury in Georgia might be indicting, which said, "Well, it's not a short list." The eye work that was going on, the grinning. You know, they're the playing very well. Someone who may have just like, you know, uh, you know, escaped confinement someplace. I thought it was a very compelling and persuasive performance. But I mean, it was a little it was a little broad. Let's be. Well, it, was, it was a bit broad. And really in this category, we're trying to say, you know, like it left their mark on the world stage by which I feel like you know, we should ask being like, look, what effect did she have? And like, unless she is somehow going to like now persuade Fonnie Willis not to indict Donald Trump or people around him, then I feel like, you know, this was a, you know, a perhaps a short lived and memorable performance, but one that we're not going to be talking about come next season. It's like a small indie film. Yeah. Like it was all cute. I will say is that I have watched that video of her CNN interview at least three times a week since it happened. <laughs> I oh, don't wow. read anything by Tucker Carlson or watch anything by Tucker Carlson. I ignore Elon Musk, but I watch that video a lot. You drop everything if she's on. This is like I for really you what would. Devil Wears Prada Absolutely. is for me. Wow. It's phenomenal. So okay. that's where my purse, my heart lies, but my head remains open to persuasion. I'm going to make the case for Tucker Carlson. And I, I, I think that, and I mean, maybe this is wishful thinking, but I think that the damage that he may have done to Fox News's both tendency or willingness to just outright lie to its audience, as well as the damage that he has done at the same time to its reputation with its base, given that he clearly is also just lying to them about his love for Donald Trump, that that might meaningfully change Fox's behavior going forward. And that would be, I think, a really big deal and a really big improvement for the uh, the information ecosystem, as we say at Lawfare. And so I think I'm going, I think I'm going Tucker Carlson. And I, I will say the, the, you know, I was initially going to go Elon Musk, but I, I think that ultimately the effect on Twitter has been less than 
I think you know a lot of us thought, which is why ultimately I, I'm going for Tucker with on this one. See, this is fascinating because I I nominated Tucker Carlson, but I I feel that that Elon is just the obvious winner here. So let me allow me to make my case, Alan. In terms of a single person who has had or could have the biggest impact on world events, I feel like he has to be up there, not just because of Twitter, but because of Starlink and his sort of weird, you know, I'm giving the Ukrainians access. Oh, maybe I won't give them access. Maybe I'll charge them. Maybe I won't charge them. Who knows? Teehee. There was that bit where he was like... You can really imagine Elon going, teehee. I totally, and but then he would say like "lol cat" and then put a picture of a meme that everybody was into in like 2005. Um, there was the bit where he was like proposing. Am I imagining this, Shane? Like that he could carry out some kind of proxy negotiation with Putin. There was all this weird yeah, stuff. Yeah, there was yeah. Like, putting himself forward to negotiate. So yeah, he was proposing ideas. Yeah. So in terms of, and I, I know I saw. I cannot remember who I saw this quote from, but there's some someone. I saw say the other day that the use of Starlink by the Ukrainians has been really, really crucially important. So given the Ukraine war, Shane is nodding, thumbs up. So given the Ukraine war, given Starlink, also the fact that his purchase of Twitter and sort of trashing of the platform, which I agree with Alan, it is not dead yet, never say never, but it is true that he's substantially damaged, if not just completely scrapped the platform's trust and safety and content moderation infrastructure, which has like demonstrable negative effects, right? Like there is more child sexual exploitation now on Twitter, despite what Musk likes to say. It's also the case that there's been a lot of reporting about there being more harassment. I think there's definitely indications that those problems are worse in areas of the world that are not English speaking. If Donald Trump pops back on Twitter since Musk has unbanned him and starts spouting whatever he wants to spout, um, that will be hugely influential. And I do think that, you know, it is incredibly striking that just this one guy can have such a huge impact on how all of us think and speak and consume news. So that is my case for Elon Musk. I think it's a persuasive case too. That's a yeah. good case. My my heart says Tucker, but my but my head says Elon. I I will just say on the Tucker thing, I'm not sure even if if Dominion wins in this lawsuit or achieves a settlement that Fox is going to be chastened by this because like they'll be happy to pay the billions or whatever dollars in damages, and they can't afford it. I'm sure they'll be happy to, but they'll pay it. But I don't think they'll ever apologize or acknowledge that they did something wrong. I think that's a hu- that's a really really interesting question and something that I've been meaning to actually do more digging on Shane because I totally agree. I think I think that they can eat the cost. Just the Murdoch empire is so huge. It's definitely a hit, but I think they could do it. The question in my mind is whether it changes their insurance situation such that the rise in their insurance would be would make any future shenanigans along these lines prohibitive. Mm. Um, so more more of a deterrence question, essentially. That's a really interesting it's question. It's also worth too. noting, I actually poked around a little bit after we talked about this the other week. You can actually get ongoing damages from defamation and libel. So that's often why there's a strong incentive, even though courts rarely like direct a corrective statement as a remedy. In fact, I don't know if they, I don't know if they ever do, but it's a kind of a weird thing, specific performance in like a civil case for a court to do. Um, there's an ex- economic incentive because if you don't correct it, then there's an ongoing harm. And in theory, you can seek additional damages. So the point where you've lost the kind of merits claim uh, of the actual legal argument saying, yeah, this is defamation at that 
that point, you got a strong economic incentive to say, okay, at least at a minimum, a court has said we've, we're inaccurate on this. So we're going to say what the court wants us to say to limit damages moving forward. So it'll be kind of, it'll be very interesting. I agree. But I have to say, I think the Elon case is really compelling in spite of that. The man has his fingers in absolutely everything. And he's not afraid of it. And he has somehow somehow cheapen some of the biggest companies that are doing the most influential things in the world through his personal involvement now. Look what's happening with Tesla. Look what's happening with the SpaceX and the other companies involved. And they're doing revolutionary groundbreaking things and in a lot of ways are like heavily insulated from his control in a way that Twitter isn't because they have set up management bodies. They have other stakeholders that exert counter influence that kind of like while he's still able to have a lot of influence, marginalize his day-to-day control, that's not the case with Twitter. Twitter is a passion project for him. And the devastation on Twitter is one thing, but it's really the other things. I mean, when you have the point where you have people talking seriously in the national security policy community about whether this is somebody who should be you know, involved in our national security processes or relied on because he's unreliable and he has strange relationships with foreign parties, whether as investors in the Twitter context or because of his engagements with suspected engagements with Russian leaders and other folks around the context of Ukraine. And investments and manufacturing with Tesla in China, which I left out and which is super important. Exactly. So that is where I think I am persuaded. Shall we go to the ballots? Indeed. All right, Alan, will you read our winner? And our winner is Elon Musk, everyone. You cut to Elon looking so surprised. Uh, In a weird gladiator Quint- outfit. Cut to Grimes. Quinta, I think you should give the Elon speech. I, I think I think you I think I you just said Elon I just value. said that I'm not gonna do accents. I think I think you exemplify Elon thought. Oh no. Anyone. Yeah. That's no, the I, rudest thing anyone's think, ever said to me. You, I think you're pretty clearly the Elon Musk of, of lawfare, and there's no question about that. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> No, how anyone should That's feel no about good that. at all. How do you recover? Yeah. How's our friendship recover from that? That's the real question. <laughs> it's it's worse than the the time. No, that was Scott who said that I was the closest thing to being a journalist on the show. <laughs> no, that's what that's I said. Still, that still cuts. Damn. That's very close to being a journalist. <laughs> I stand by it. Whatever. <laughs> it's it's matter of logic. Harsh. Y'all, this show got mean since I left. What up? <laughs> no. <laughs> Well, we are down to our final category. Let us bring in our special guest host, truly the star among us, Shane Harris. Will you read us out the nominees for Best Actor? Actors. They make us laugh even when we want to cry. No. Um, yes, I'm so honored oh to present God. the award. Can I, can, I, can, I, can I just say that like insane Nicole Kidman advertisement for AMC theaters or Regal theaters before what was that movies about? Is, with like the crazy sparkly suit? Oh, is she doing terrible. a commercial? Because Jimmy Kimmel made a yeah. joke about this. Is yeah, she like, it's real. It's real bad. Is she did a commercial for the theater chain? Yeah, that that you have to watch when you're in the theater, and it's just it's very. Tom cringy. Cruise did one of those too. I saw Tom Cruise like the one movie I've seen in a theater in the last like three years. He he popped up in the front of. Like, is he like in like a little suit and dancing or something? Like, let's all go. He's to the also lobby in a glittery suit dancing, yeah, with a long blonde wig. <laughs> Oh and a, a fair amount of pretty well done plastic surgery. So, you know, all oh, around. Just goes well. to show he's not over her. Yeah, exactly. 20 years later. All right. So I'm here to present the award for best actor uh, for which world leader left their mark on the world stage this past year. Our first nominee is the president of Ukraine, Vladimir Zelensky, the man who stayed 
Uh, we, we, he, it, this is a man who gave a very moving on-screen performance after the war in Ukraine began and has been a workhorse. This man's been on screen every day since. He has not failed. He is, he is on screen time alone, I think, would take this category. Our second nominee is uh, Vladimir Putin, the president of Russia, who seems intent on doubling down on his failing gambit in Ukraine. He's sort of like, you know, the one who just keeps coming back for punishment, like more and more. He is kind of like the Susan Lucci figure, right? Who is not afraid to be nominated, even though he knows that he's not likely to win uh, in the end. Degradation is kind of his speed. Uh, and of course, uh, Xi Jinping, the leader of China, who locked down his control of the Chinese Communist Party, but perhaps not the Chinese people. Xi Jinping almost like rewriting the rules of the academy so that you can only give the award to him for for, for time immemorial. So um, who would like to make the case for one of these three illustrious nominees? Putting aside our emotional feelings, by the way, about the nominees, we're judging them purely yeah. on performance here. Not This is not a popularity contest. The Oscars are totally not a popularity contest. So I'm, I'm going to weigh in here actually a little bit against one of the candidates, and that's Xi Jinping. Somebody who is a major figure, obviously, I think is probably often framed, although perhaps not as discussed as much as Putin, is realistically framed as the person who is the biggest rival of the United States, the biggest rival for the United States as a player in the you know world scene or China. And then he is such a personal leader of China with so much individual control. He seems like an obvious nominee. Um, he, of course, is like the one person who was really called out in the State of the Union, right? Remember President Biden saying, who would trade places with Xi Jinping? Didn't really make a lot of sense at the time. I think a lot of people would. Why? Because he's like the most powerful guy in the world, basically, uh, for, for being honest. Probably more powerful than Joe Biden in terms of what he actually controls. All that said, this is a year that I felt really demonstrated the limits to the extent which any one person is really in control. Because Xi Jinping has really just kind of been a little bit of a passive actor, um, even as he's locking down his legacy, he's you know, securing control for another term, historic term in the Chinese Communist Party. He had domestic protests, uh, pandemic, neither of which he was able to completely manage. Russia has been running on this foreign policy that it hasn't been able to dictate the outcome of one way or the other. It's been desperately trying to keep up the United States, which is building this kind of network of allies and relationships all around the Pacific. So I don't think Xi Jinping, this is a year where he's really left his mark. It might be in the future. But in terms of somebody who's very so consciously concerned about their legacy, I don't think 2022 into early 2023 is going to be one of those windows that really does much for him on that front. So I'm going to I'm going to disagree with you because I think 2022 was the year in which Xi Jinping consolidated his power and guaranteed himself if not 15 then potentially 20 years of one of not just you know rule at the head of this you know second most powerful country in the world but increasingly authoritarian one person rule um and so you know I I'll agree with you that 2022 was not the did not have the most fireworks from from China. That obviously has to go to to Putin. I, I think if you think about what she has accomplished internally, I mean, he is the most powerful person in the world. And to be perfectly honest, he will be until he resigns or you know dies in office, right? And and he will be the most powerful person in the world, even though America will still be the most powerful country, uh, probably through. I mean, you know, I would guess through the next couple of decades. Um, simply because he has so much more power in China than the president has in the United States. That at the end of the day, I, I think you know he is the most influential figure. And so I, I think I think twenty twenty two, we will we will look back and see that that was the year that that she became this figure 
even if it took a few more years for him to do something really spectacular with that power, right? Like invade Taiwan, for example. I'll make the case for uh, for Zelensky, actually, um, <clears throat> and, and not for, for the obvious reasons of his, uh, you know, that he's inspired so many people and he's led his country in the face of, you know, this uh, invasion from Russia. But, you know, I think that Zelensky in some way, you know, is, is largely responsible, if, maybe not so much for summoning the will of the Western countries and the NATO countries to form the alliance in face of the invasion. A lot of that credit actually goes to probably the Biden administration and to the Brits and kind of galvanizing support. But support could have easily started to fall apart, right, in the early days of the war. And I think Zelensky, maybe not easily, but Zelensky kind of became this figure of reminding people every single day, this is what we are fighting for. I think the Churchillian comparison is apt, at least in the way that he has, you know, used rhetoric and his public presentation. I don't think he's the, you know, he's not the politician and the statesman that Churchill was. Maybe he will be, but he's brought that alliance together and held it together. And I think fundamentally that is part of what is reshaping the global world order. I mean, it remains to be seen how this will play out vis-a-vis China, but you know, we're he is leading a country in the midst of a land war in Europe in 2023 uh, in which NATO is not exactly a combatant but is supporting him in this kind of, you know, proxy sort of way. And I don't know, I think that he, you know, you could make if it's about making a mark uh, and like something that is going to last regardless of what happens to him politically and you know there's some chance that he might not be reelected i think that you know the mark that he individually has made not just on his own country but on the contours of security and alliances in europe and on world feeling for ukraine is indelible i mean people will remember him as you know a a great not necessarily great in a sense of beloved but a great figure of history uh, and i think he's already cemented that legacy yeah, I'm kind of I'm split between Zelensky and Putin. So since you just made the case for Zelensky, let me make the case for Putin, which we should emphasize once again is not the same as approval. <laughs> Don't like Putin, not a fan. But it doesn't mean not approval, right? All right, all right. Uh, <laughs> I, I miss the big. I just want to say I miss the big tables. I bring the big tables back. The big tables were yeah. Well, actually, okay. Here, here, I will, I will loop the big tables in nice. to my pitch. And that's why, that's why you are almost a journalist, Quinta. This is the Feels rational, like se- yeah. This is the rational security promise. I'm not going to rise to that. So I think people often will make fun of what's caricatured as the great man theory of history. The idea that world events are kind of shaped by particularly influential figures, usually men, and that, you know, individuals can be drivers of world events. And the obvious counter argument, which is usually made and which I think is often right, is that everything is contingent and uncertain. Events happen because of different societal and political and economic forces sort of crashing together. And people who happen to be in the right place at the wrong time can certainly push them in one direction or another, but that it's not you know, that one person alone, right? It's not just Napoleon, it's everything around Napoleon as well. I kind of think that Russia's decision to invade Ukraine is a major exception to that. If you read some of the excellent reporting by Shane and his colleagues at the Washington Post and the Financial Times had a big report out kind of looking back at Russia's decision to invade recently, it really seems like this decision boiled down to Putin, that it was Putin made this call. 
everyone around him was either saying, don't do it, or they weren't saying that because they didn't want to piss him off, or they couldn't talk to him because he had gotten so paranoid over COVID, this is where the tables come in, um, that you had to go through like a level four biohazard containment facility in order to get to him. And his world just became very, very isolated. And he met with people only at the ends of extremely long tables. And so, and this is genuinely a case of one guy who made a horrific and awful call and changed the course of history because of it. And I think that that I mean I I was resistant to this view initially because I have kind of an instinctive allergy to the to sort of great man theories but it really seems like this is just Putin. Can I just say really quickly I I remember when the Ukraine war first started and we were talking about this maybe it was the first or second episode uh, you know, after it happened. And I think our conclusion, I think you Quinta said it best was, did this war start because Putin got weird during quarantine? <laughs> I will say, I talked to a lot of Russia experts who suggested yeah. that. And like, it seems like that's kind <laughs> of it. Well, but here's where I was, I 100% agree with that. I think it's really a compelling case. But I, here's where I think it falls short on this field with Zelensky here, is that I feel like Zelensky, a similar case can be made for just how influential as an individual I think he's been because of the unique decisions he seems to have made, both staying in Kiev, becoming such a central rallying point, really building engagements with Europe. Uh, you know, it's hard to say counterfactuals, how meaningful would that have been, right? Like, just as there are other people with extreme nationalist borderline imperial views of Russia other than Vladimir Putin, right? Like, he's tying into a Russian intellectual tradition that could have produced other leaders in that position and other counterfactuals to do similar things. You could say the same with Zelensky, but the unique skills he's brought, the unique decisions he made that have proven so influential, particularly playing this front lines role as a front lines leader for Ukraine, I really think has been actually really exceptionally, exceptionally influential in a similar way about saying, here's what an individual can make a difference. And importantly, it has shown the limits of what Putin could do as an individual, right? Because things have not gone Putin's way. Putin thought this was going to be an easy war. He thought this was going to be something done relatively quickly. I think a lot of people did. A lot of folks around the world did, uh, including, you know, probably most policy experts. And Zelensky and people around him, you know, he doesn't serve sole credit, but under his leadership has really shown that, in fact, you know, push back and and show that Putin, even somebody as powerful as Putin, can't dictate their terms, even in places where they have as much influence as Russia has in Ukraine uh, and the near nearer parts of Europe. So that's why I lean towards Zelensky on that scale, precisely because he's so instrumental in showing the limits of Putin's control. This is a tough category. This is like a genuinely yeah. divided category. This is like best actor this year. It could be Austin yeah. Butler. It could be Brendan Fraser. I know. And you'd be happy with both of them. I still have my Vladimir Putin axe and I could, can't shake it. it <laughs> it's a problem. The, it's it just like the 14 from the last scene of Top Gun. Oh, right. man. I would love really that. Hard. That needs a special award. Oh, God. So good. Supporting aircraft. All right. Let's go to the Academy. Submit your ballots. Ooh. 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 Oh, my goodness. Whoa, a, a spoiler. Wow. 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 Okay. Not obvious. I'll be now be handed the envelope. Thank you, Faye Dunaway. You can go home. This, Thank you. This one actually is written in Cyrillic. This this one is real. Let me check this that you didn't hand me the wrong one again, ma'am. <laughs> God. Her again. Uh, and the winner. <laughs> let me double check to make sure I did see the winner correctly now. Doubting myself. 
<laughs> uh, the winner is uh, La La Land. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but it was a great movie, okay? President Zelensky, you just won Best Actor. <laughs> it's Zelensky. President, Ad- President Adele Dazeem. Uh, and actually, like, I- I'm not going to accept on his behalf because he will accept his award later tonight when he records something on his cell phone that we all hear about. So we will send there him his award exactly. and he can accept it uh, later uh, in between his daily war report. I mean, there there is something there is something fitting about the about our fake Oscar going to a former actor. Uh, you know, it's, still, it's it's still. I just say, like I just I still want to, to just take a moment to appreciate that, like Zelensky, this world historical statesman and figure, like who will really go down in history as like one of the great leaders of the 21st century. Like at some point, had a skit where he played the piano with his testicles. <laughs> and, like I just. I will. Ne- I will never fully. I, I. I don't know what to do. Will, and separately, voiced Paddington in the Ukrainian <gasps> version. He's the Ukrainian of Paddington. Paddington. Oh, that's wonderful, Paddington. Amazing. I wonder if he would like to go back to acting after this is all over. <laughs> you know, just like does he, does he see a future return after like his life as a statesman and oh, you know Ukraine has won this war of like you know like, what they really want to do is direct. <laughs> <laughs> Is that like comedians never win Oscars? So that could be a challenge for uh, that route. Exactly. exactly. He should pull a Ryan Reynolds and start a vodka brand. Did he? I think it's a gin brand. Well, it's gin for it? Ryan, but I'm saying it should be like vodka. Oh yes, yes, and and good Ukrainian vodka, of which I have sampled a number of varieties in the past year. There's some very mm. very good Ukrainian vodka. One that comes with gold flecks in it, which is not usually my style, but it was a <laughs> very nice gift from someone. I'm not really showy when it comes to that kind of thing, but uh, it was, it's quite tasty. <laughs> I like metal shavings in my drinks. I disagree. <laughs> I throw them in there whenever I can on my morning cereal, my Slurpees, wherever I can get it. I'm it reminds me of Goldschlager. It's like a little trashy, but uh, yeah. you know, well, it's okay. It's okay. It makes your martinis sparkle that little extra bit. It's all right. Well, folks, that brings us to the end of our regular awards show this year, but we have one special award. Uh, in honor of these Oscars these last few years, what we are calling the Slap Award, because we have four winners that we've announced today, but at least one of these winners we probably aren't that fond of. So which of our prize winners today, our Oscar winners, should we hope to keep out of our effing mouths, to quote one recent Oscar winner, uh, in the year to come? Our nominees are, of course, Kevin McCarthy, Speaker of the House, Western Europe. Good luck with that one. (laughs) Elon Musk. And Volodymyr Zelensky. It's got to be Elon. Elon. What? Oh, no. The answer is McCarthy. Are you kidding me? If, if we keep talking about McCarthy, it is because the United States will have defaulted on its debt. And so I just, I don't want to hear Oh, this is like McCarthy. who we don't want, who we hope we don't have to hear from. That's right. Do we hope to keep out of our I just, I'm mouths? sick. I am so sick of having to care about Elon Musk. I muted him. I blocked him. My Twitter is like pretty incomprehensible now because so much of the conversation is about Elon Musk. And I just like, I feel like I did about Trump toward the end of his time in office. Um, He is not interesting. He is boring. He is, everything he does is super obvious. And I don't want to think about him anymore. I'm sick of him. And he wants it so badly. He's tweaking the logarithm. He wants it so badly. He's tweaking the logarithm to specifically... 
algorithm. The logarithm. Yeah, he's like the logarithm. <laughs> when he's tweaking the logarithm, that's maybe a really the bad logarithm sign. too, guys. Who knows? But he's <laughs> tweaking it specifically to steer traffic towards his tweets. It's just so desperately needy. Here's the thing, though. We can all leave Twitter for Mastodon. We cannot leave the United States. We are stuck here if there is a debt crisis. That'll be very bad. And we can have we can have elections. <laughs> all right. I think we have a pretty strong consensus emerging. Should we drop it in the ballot and we can see who our award winner is? Yeah, I think so. And the winner is indeed our own Twitter president, whatever really is, owner, Elon Musk. Overlord. Thank you, Elon. You're just a Congratulations. Here's <laughs> just a Twitter president. He's the chief. Congratulations Twitter. on taking home not one, but two hypothetical statuettes uh, this year for this year's awards. With that, that brings us to the close of this year's award shows. Congratulations to all the winners and all the nominees. There will always be more awards next year, or maybe not. We'll see how we feel about this bit after we're done recording it, whether it's worth bringing back. But this is still rational security, and this still would not be rational security if we did not leave you with some object lessons to ponder over in the week to come as you consider whether this episode was a good idea or not and report back to us by Twitter, no doubt. Alan, what do you have up for us in terms of object lessons this week? So my object lesson is a series of tweet threads by a user at Ham Carlos, whose shtick is that he uses, I'm assuming, stable diffusion or other AI image generation tools to create images of all of the United States' presidents, but in different has kind of different characters. So he has one where they're all like bikers with mullets. And he has this latest one is um, where they're all pro wrestlers. And they're, they're so good. I just, they're, they're, you just, you you have to look at them. I don't know. I don't even know how to describe them, but I think they're both very funny. And they also just show, I think that these AI tools can really be generative. Like they, they really, they, 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 uh, they're going to allow just an unbelievable amount of creativity. Um, and so both as just a fabulous set of just pictures in their own right and as a really interesting example of these tools, uh, that that is my object lesson. And we'll, we'll drop a link to his latest thread uh, and then you can sort of go through his Twitter feed to, to look at uh, his other stuff. It's really good. They are pretty wild. And I have to say the one of Donald Trump with face tattoos is um Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, something. yeah. Cause there's cause there's one of them all as rappers. Oh my god. It, it's just so good. I mean the Trump one, I mean, you know, face tattoos aren't my thing, but it's kinda hot. <laughs> well that's that's the that's the other thing. Like they all like AI is very good at making these like stylized, attractive versions of people. Yeah. And it's just very creepy to be like, wait, is that like is that a sexy Jimmy Carter? Like, right. Like this is to be clear, this is not like, Donald Trump's my, body my or his head. Is, like, prepared for. Yes. Sexy or Jimmy Carter, Alan, please. <laughs> <laughs> have respect for the man. <laughs> Quinta, what do you have for us this week? Yes, in his last days, don't don't tar the man's I, name, I, Alan. To be clear, I, sorry, I, I really, I was not, I just really did not mean to make fun of Jimmy Carter there. Uh, I only remembered his uh, unfortunate health situation, so apologies for that. I think he he had a good life. He did. Uh, so my object lesson is news from my hometown of Princeton, New Jersey. It was announced last night by the FBI that a Princeton University senior was arrested in connection with the January 6th riot. 
I would specifically like to give a shout out to the student newspaper, The Daily Princetonian, uh, which did some shoe leather reporting to find out uh, that the student in question, whose name is Larry Guyberson, I think, had sent an email to a student listserv and published an article in a magazine called, or excuse me, a newspaper called the Princeton Tory, arguing against uh, the removal of Woodrow Wilson's name from the university's School of Public and International Affairs. Uh, And in that he wrote, and I quote, I'm gonna quote it because it's too good. If our university can be intimidated by the transient impulses of the mob mentality to disregard their own esteemed standards, what guarantee is there that the university will stand firm against those who would seek to undermine the nation, nation is capitalized, or indeed humanity itself? Humanity is also capitalized. So strong words there from Larry, who I believe is uh, has been charged with civil disorder, which is a felony charge and also a number of misdemeanor offenses. I feel like this is like a late arrest, too. They only just got to him now. I mean, there's a lot of people that they haven't gotten to. Right. There's I think there's like the last I saw, I want to say was like 150. But yes. Yeah. And so based on the timing, I think this uh, he would have been a sophomore. Right. Yeah. um, At the time of the riot. So I just want to give a shout out to Princeton University, my uh, hometown institution for being the first Ivy as far as I know, to have an undergraduate student arrested for participating in an insurrection. Shout out. We knew you could do it. But I think the real question is, what eating club was he a member of? Yeah. Was was he a member of one of the clubs that, that only agreed to admit women under the threat of a court order in the 90s? I don't know. Hmm, interesting. Well, uh, on that on that bit of hometown pride, I will note some hometown events of my own that I'm very excited about coming up in the next few days that led me down the road towards another little musical exploration. I am back on my concert scene tick to ride the band Yola Tango, one of my favorite bands of all time, um, who I, among other things, I played a fair amount at my wedding, uh, which I don't know how I feel about now in hindsight, but that's okay. It's uh, It felt like very cool, very cool at the time, uh, if, if maybe a little predictable for someone of my generation. But they're coming back to DC. I'm seeing them this Sunday. I'm thrilled about it, but it led me to dig down into their uh, record catalog and particularly the Radio show Sound Opinions, a great, I think, Chicago-based music podcast and radio show, pointed this out to me in an episode I listened to, highlighting the fact that they have done tons of albums of covers because um, the lead singer of Yola Tango was, in fact, originally a rock critic back before he actually started his band in his like late 30s, as Ira Kaplan, if I recall correctly, mid to late 30s, started a rock band, became huge hits. Before that, he was a rock critic for years and years, and it's a very deep musical knowledge, and has done an amazing array of covers. They have an album, Fake Book, that's kind of pretty famous from 1990, um, that is almost all covers. They had a follow-up album five or six years ago, and actually, too, evidently, they like hop on local New Jersey radio and do kind of impromptu cover songs occasionally when they feel like rocking out and don't have another venue. It's pretty awesome. Um, I've really enjoyed li- listening to these over the last few days. So I'm going to encourage folks to dig into that catalog and check out Fake Book and these other cover albums from Yola Tango, uh, as well as their new album that is really is phenomenal. Um, this Stupid World that uh, came out, I think, in the last few weeks um, that I've been listening to and is great. So encourage folks to check that out. Shane, why don't you bring us home? What do you have for an object lesson? This week, very apropos of the Oscars and our Oscars celebration here on the podcast, uh, I'm reading and recommend a new book 
uh, just came out a few weeks ago called Oscar Wars, A History of Hollywood in Gold, Sweat and Tears by Michael Schulman, uh, who's a journalist who writes, uh, among other places, I think mostly for The New Yorker. If you're into Oscar history and Hollywood history, it's a really, really fun read. He actually goes back to tell the story of how the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences was founded uh, and kind of, you know, it's in a very unexpected, you know, I won't go into too much of it to, to reveal the details, but it's sort of um, the way in which the awards ceremony was kind of an afterthought um, in the beginning. Uh, I think the first Oscars literally took like six minutes to hand out. I mean, it was like super, super fast. Um, but the way that the awards frenzy caught on also very early on and kind of came to define not just the Academy, but a lot of how we think about the movies and movie stars. Um, anyway, really, really good. Well written. Um, he's been on a lot of podcasts as well, talking about it. And he goes, has a great story too about how Saving Private Ryan lost to a little movie called Shakespeare in Love. Uh, and it does feature one disgraced Hollywood film producer, Harvey Weinstein. Um, so lots of fun. Oscar Wars. Check it out. Amazing. Um, well, I'm, I'm looking forward to checking that out. But until then, that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Rational Security is still and always a production of Lawfare. So be sure to visit lawfareblog.com for our show page with links to our past episodes for our written work and the written work of other Lawfare contributors and for information on Lawfare's other phenomenal podcast series. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at RETL Security and be sure to leave a rating or review wherever you might be listening. While you're at it, sign up to become a material supporter of Lawfare on Patreon at patreon.com slash lawfare for an ad-free version of this podcast and other special benefits. Our audio engineer and producer this week was Noya Ma's band of Goat Rodeo, and our music, as always, was performed by Sophia Yan. We are once again edited by the wonderful Jen Patcha Howell. On behalf of my co-host, Ellen Quinta, and our special guest, the one and only Shane Harris, I am Scott R. Anderson, and we will talk to you next week. Until then, goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.